0: well hey good morning center church i am sorry i can't actually be with you but like so many of us i am waiting on a COVID test just straight up honesty so out of just extra caution and safety i decided since it was so last minute saturday night to record the sermon for today and to preach it um and to hopefully continue our journey in this rewriting love series and so uh this is a first for us at center church so welcome to the experiment And uh, I really do believe God still has something for us in this sermon. And uh, I remember, we talk about the word love. I remember the first time I felt in love. And you may remember the first time you felt in love. The first time I felt in love was in seventh grade. And in seventh grade, I I met this girl. We'll just call her Lisa. And Lisa and I had a, a growing, budding relationship, it was all going well until in seventh grade, she wrote me a note. I think it was during Sunday school that she was breaking up with me, that we were over, our love story had ended. Now, it's kind of funny because I was only in seventh grade, but it's really funny because what it did to me. Like, I I literally felt like my insides had just been ripped out. And I remember going home from church and we had a trampoline like off the side of our house. I remember going to the trampoline putting in my green iPod mini and listening to like all the emo sad songs I could find. I was just bouncing on the trampoline with my iPod mini, just brokenhearted. I was totally wrecked. And what it made me feel like was totally incomplete. And uh, the reason I share that is because when you're going through marriage, even if you're in a good space, even if you're in a good spot, There's a temptation for wherever you're at, whether you're single, married, you want to be married, or you don't ever want to be married. There's this feeling that sometimes our relationships and even our marriages leave us feeling incomplete. It's like what we want out of them, we don't always get out of them. And as I look at Ephesians 5, and we're going to go back to this passage again this morning Ephesians 5, verse 15, uh, here's what Paul says. I just want to remind you of his words. He says in verse 15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or immorality. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does all that have to do with marriage? Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And what I think is interesting is, again, we go back. As you keep reading in this chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about marriage as this divine mystery. It's a metaphor. It's pointing to something greater. It's, It's highlighting for our world and for our family members and our coworkers that marriage is this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. It's this uniting of two people for a greater cause. But, but marriage, though it is a gift, it can't serve, it can't always complete us. And, and that sometimes frustrates us. It can't always do the thing that we want it to do. I remember hearing this a few nights ago, we spent, uh, some of our small groups got together for marriage night here. And this online video conference, the one quote that stuck out to me the most was from Pastor J.D. Greer, who's out in Virginia. He wrote that marriage... Is a beautiful gift from God, but is a horrible replacement for God. Now, what I think is interesting is if you take it all the way back, all the way to the beginning of creation, Genesis 2, this first passage about marriage, that God designed marriage. So that means we should take our understanding, we should take our perspective, we should take our view on our marital relationship from God and from His Word specifically. And as I look at that, what it makes me think about is, okay, what does marriage do and what does it not do? Now we could go through a list of all the things that marriage can give us, all the things marriage can do for us. And we could also go through a list of all the healthy things that come from being in a marriage. But marriage at its core, what Paul points to in Ephesians 5, the verses right after the ones we read, is that marriage is first and foremost a spiritual friendship. It's a spiritual friendship. It's a spiritual relationship. It's not just physical. It's not just emotional. It's not even uh, like a contract. It's not even this transaction or or just merely a relationship that we stick together longer than other relationships. It's a spiritual friendship. It can't take the place of God, but it certainly can point us to a deeper relationship with God. And that's what I think is interesting. As you look at, uh, even sociologists have studied this that there's really four life-altering forces, four transforming forces that a person can go through. One of the top is marriage. The second is children, having children. The third is international travel. And the fourth is death. Now, some of us go through all three of those first ones, and then you die. So you literally get married, you get your life changed, then you have a kid, you get your life changed, you go overseas, you get your life changed, and then you die. Now, I don't know what order those fall in in terms of most important, But if you look at what Paul says about marriage in this chapter, he is saying that if you are married, if you choose to get married, that that you should expect transformation to happen. In fact, I think that's the most important truth that we're going to explore for the next few minutes together is if God had a mission, if he could declare a mission for your marriage, ultimately Christ's mission for marriage is to make you more Christ-like. It's not to fulfill all of your deepest desires. There's going to be moments where your marriage feels incomplete or that your spouse is not acting the way you want them to or or your intimate life is not bringing you the, the, the satisfaction you're longing for or your kids are acting up and you feel like you can't figure out how to be married and parent at the same time. But Paul is, is writing to these people. He's writing to this Ephesian church and saying, the mission for your marriage, the the reason, the big why for your marriage is Christ's likeness. And the verses we read just a few minutes ago point out how do you get there? Because I'll be honest, the first time I read Ephesians, when I read through Ephesians 5, I view Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, what we just read, as being detached from what he says about marriage and what he says about households and how families should interact under kind of the banner of the gospel but they're actually quite connected. It's in how we live that enables us to have Christ-like marriages and Christ-like relationships. So Paul points out two things I want to highlight in the next few minutes. Number one, he says, how do you have a Christ-like marriage? How do you live out this mission? Two things. Number one, it's through spiritual consistency, and then it's through spiritual practices or steps. Spiritual consistency and spiritual practices. Because here's what we think. And I think Paul probably clued into this, even with the church in Ephesus, we think we'll do Christ-like things once we become Christ-like. Like Like I'll do holy things once I become a holy person, or I will do like incredibly loving things towards my spouse once my heart is just like totally turned into a loving heart, or my relationship will get better once I get better. But, But Paul is saying it's actually, sometimes we have that backwards, uh, I think about it like this. I remember the first time Lindsay introduced me to seltzer water or soda water, depending on where you come from in the U.S. Uh, here I have some beautiful Costco Kirkland Signature grapefruit sparkling water or soda water. And I remember the first time she gave me this and wanted me to try it. I literally thought after growing up on a life of pop, of Sprite and Cherry Coke, that this stuff tasted like gasoline. It was terrible. There's like no sugar, no sweetness. I was totally thrown off, and and I remember the first time I had it was a lime Lacroix. Now I don't have one of those here, which is sad, but it was a lime Lacroix, and I had it, and it it was not good. It literally took me multiple times, and there were, I don't know what what flipped or what happened, but the more I drank it, the more I ended up liking it, and eventually. Uh, Now we literally have a LaCroix rule in our house where Lindsay will ask, John, did you have more than one LaCroix today? And I have to answer honestly, a couple days ago, I had two. I broke the LaCroix rule in our house, but we try to limit it because we got six to last us through the week. It's in a 12 pack. Now when we go absolutely crazy, we buy two 12 packs. We just go nuts. We buy three. Uh, You get the point. Uh, But there's sometimes in our spiritual lives, like almost like this beautiful grapefruit sparkling water that we think we will just somehow magically like it, or our marriage will magically become Christ-like, or we'll magically become more sanctified or holy or set apart for God. But it's actually, in Paul's words, to spiritual consistency and practices that we become formed into God's image. This is why in a few weeks we're celebrating baptism. Because baptism isn't a sign that your life is perfect and you figured it all out. It's a sign that you are beginning this relationship of surrender and allegiance and wholehearted devotion. You're surrendering your life to King Jesus. You're letting him be Lord. And baptism, again, is not a sign you've got it figured out or at the end of your spiritual journey. For many of us, that's the beginning of our journey. I'm so excited for some of you who've already signed up to be baptized because that, that to me, is a step. It's a step towards Christ-likeness. It's a practice we celebrate together. And I, I think about this as I take a drink of my sparkling water. Oh, that's so good. How has this played out for couples that I admire, or even for Lindsay and I? Like, we've gotten to know some of you and your marriage story and how God has been at work, and, and some of you redeemed and healed, and some of you just giving you a life of faithfulness and devotion. I want to explore again those two things, consistency and practices. I think this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 verse 15. Paul's words to this church is be very careful. Other translations say be cautious or be sober-minded. Be, be attentive to how you live, not as unwise but wise. And it encourages them, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity And I think that's what consistency is. It's a self-discipline. I mean, uh, one of the reasons I think Paul is really unique in how he approaches this is he he instructs the Ephesian church to not get drunk on wine, which feels like even in West Michigan, it feels like that's an obvious thing that, that church small groups and Sunday services shouldn't be marked by people who come in drunk off last night's Merlot. Like that's not the goal But for this Ephesian culture, where the church finds itself in Ephesus, there was multiple Greek gods being worshipped. One of those was Dionysus, and and Dionysus was often celebrated and worshipped through getting drunk. It was the opposite of self-control and discipline. And Paul is saying, don't don't live that way. Live spiritually consistent. Be rooted, be faithful. Uh, Even for Lindsay and I, and some of the couples that that we look up to and admire. This looks like checking in. Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's monthly and yearly, having a rhythm to just say, hey, how are you doing? How is your relationship with God? Where are you struggling? What's hard? What's what's going really well? What are you rejoicing in? What are you celebrating? Sometimes for even Lindsay and I, those conversations are just four or five minutes at the end of a day. But it's a chance to check in and make sure that we're aligned, we're on the same page. It's staying spiritually consistent with one another. Uh, Even things like physical touch, if your spouse responds to that, doing those things consistently consistently could be a way of showing love to your spouse. Some of us need to get better at that and and figuring out how to not do that in a weird way. Like uh, Another one for us and for a lot of people that we admire is prioritizing church attendance. Now, I get how weird that may sound, especially in kind of the light of COVID-19 and digital church and all of that but my point is I really have not met anyone to this day whose their marriage whose marriage was falling apart and they were about to get divorced who said I don't know what it is we we went to church together every Sunday and prayed together and tried our best to live spiritually consistent and it's just not working. I don't hear those stories very often. The, the people whose marriages I see growing and thriving have a way of prioritizing involvement and serving in the local church. I'm not saying it's something magical about Center Church. I'm just saying I think it's, it's the ability to make the most of every opportunity. It's living wisely as a married couple. The second half of this is verse 18. Uh, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery and said, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about singing and speaking and encouraging one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. He talks about giving gratitude and thanking God in every moment and every season. It's a really unique thing. But what I think is interesting is that what Paul is highlighting here is the importance of spiritual practices in a marriage and in a household. Uh, for Lindsay and I, this looks like praying through big decisions, When there's a career move or a physical move or a change that needs to happen, uh, we pray through it. We take intentional time. And again, it's not two hours every night, but it's intentional space for us to pray and just to bring those things before God. Uh, We're new parents as of five months ago. And we started very early on as part of Lennon's bedtime routine of just praying with her, of praying for our family and extended family just for a few minutes before she goes to bed. It's, It's a spiritual practice. Uh, for us, counseling has been a spiritual practice, giving each other space and time to make appointments or go to sessions. And uh, for some, right now, it looks like watching the kids or for you, it may like be creating financial margin to do it or just creating the this, this space in your calendar to do it, uh, but making time for counseling. And the last one that so many of you practice, and this is something that Lindsay and I have had really good seasons with and sometimes have not had so good of seasons, is Bible reading is sometimes reading through the same chapter. I know a specific couple uh, that I look up to, they talk about the fact that every night they read the same chapter of Scripture. They don't read it out loud or, or listen to it, but they read it, and then they just talk about what do they, what do they glean, what's stuck out to them. And, and even simple practices like that, they form us into likeness. That's Christ's mission for your marriage, is to make you more Christ like. And when we do those things together, something shifts. When I look at how Paul finishes this chapter, encouraging husbands to love their wives deeply and and wives to submit and love and respect husbands deeply, I I think what he's ultimately saying to the, the Ephesian church, what he would say to us if he was standing here in front of you right now, is that if you let your marriage be about something greater, your marriage will last. If you let your relationship whether it's a fiance or even just in a dating relationship or in a marriage, if you let that relationship be about something greater, it will last. Because ultimately that's what Paul's trying to do for this Ephesian church. He's not trying to give them tools and tricks and tactics to just finesse their relationships into being better. He's saying what you need is a better vision for why you're married, a better mission for your marriage. I think about A French writer. I remember reading this quote a few years ago and it stuck out to me. He said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And I think that's what Paul is trying to do for this Ephesian church. I think that's what ultimately Jesus wants to do for your marriage. He wants to give you A greater vision. He wants to show you that the mission for your marriage is to make you more like himself. And there's gonna be easy seasons with that, and there's gonna be really difficult, painful seasons with that. But if you make your marriage about something greater, something bigger, a grander vision for why you are together, I think your marriage will last. I mean, just last imagine if your marriage became the safest place to be honest and vulnerable about your emotions. Imagine if your response and conflict, specifically in your marriage, was to make peace. Imagine if your marriage became the most encouraging relationship you have. Imagine if your kids could look to your marriage as a symbol, not of just two people saying together, but of people who've made their lives about something so much bigger and so much greater. See, this is why Paul doesn't just refer to marriage as a mystery. Later on in multiple different letters, Paul talks about the gospel being a mystery. He uses a similar word, mysterion. It's this Greek idea of of a bigger story, of something that you can kind of understand, but you kind of can't. The gospel is a beautiful reminder that the power you and I need to forgive and sacrifice and honor and love our spouse is the same power that was at work in bringing Jesus back to life. Romans eight eleven. That it's the same power. It's the same, same resource, the same place that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's available in your marriage. That's possible. You may feel like your marriage is about to be over. I'm going to just tell you, it's not over. God has the resources. God, if you're willing to submit and surrender those relationships, he will make your relationship more Christ-like. He will make you more like himself. See, Paul, you can read this whole letter. Paul never tells the Ephesians to, to get better on their own or to boost their own power or to fix their relationships. He just keeps pointing them to this mystery. He just keeps pointing them to this Christ. See, he's pointing them to this picture of how the church and the Father operate together. It's a mystery, but it's, it points us to something so much greater. We talked in the first week about what you believe about your marriage is the most important thing about your marriage. And, and that's still true. Even for Paul, even for this Ephesian church and Paul was never married. And we're talking about singleness next Sunday, but Paul was never married, but he knew if if you can get that part, right, everything else will work itself out. And so you may ask, how do I take the next step? There's a lot to that. And whether it's being spiritually consistent is kind of the thing you're feeling, or maybe it's spiritual practices, you know, That's something we need to incorporate, something we need to work on. I want to give you just one practical next step, one conversation, really. I want to encourage you this week, if you're married or you're pursuing marriage right now, and you can even do this with friends, if if you want to kind of take the romantic side out of it, and you just want to talk about this, this is a great exercise. I want to encourage you this week to have the five-year conversation, the five-year conversation. All I mean by that is sitting down, and maybe this is once the kids go to bed, maybe it's right after service, maybe it's on your date night or a chance for you to go out to lunch together, and just to talk about where do we want to be in five years? What kind of marriage do we want to have in five years? Because what that will do, rather than just focusing on, let's buy this book and read it, let's go to another event or another conference or or figure out another podcast to listen to, what it will do is cause you to dream and have a big vision for your marriage. And ultimately, when we're pursuing God in that, in that five-year journey, you will become more Christ-like. That's, at the end of the day, Christ's mission for your marriage is to become that. But just to start with the, the dream and the question, where, where do you want to be in five years? Here's what I know. When we begin to look at that through a Christ-like lens, you will have a different marriage in five years. I will have a different marriage in five years. So that's my encouragement to you. Before we wrap up the series next week, I just want to remind you that Christ's mission for your marriage, his heart, his, his fatherly dream for your marriage is to make you more Christ-like. And I pray that that's true of us today. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that today, no matter where where we find ourselves in our marriage, some of us are in a great place, some of us are, are not sure where we're at at all and not sure if we're going to make it through the year. And I pray right now, whether people are watching online or they're sitting here right in this room, Jesus, that you would give us a big vision for our marriages that goes beyond a contract, that goes beyond a wedding day, that goes beyond... Uh, obligations or duties we feel we have to fulfill, but it takes us to the gospel. It takes us to that beautiful dream you had for each relationship, but specifically marriage, to represent Christ in the church. And we need your help in that. We confess that we are dependent on you to to make change, and we're powerless without you. If if we do it on our own, it falls apart. And so. God, I'm praying right now that you would make us in our marriages more Christ-like. And as we seek to do that, as we seek to live out that mission through consistency and practices or counseling or Bible reading together, God, that you would transform our relationships. We would sit here even a year from now and say, I'm so glad, God, that you, that you did that work in our marriage. I'm so glad you did that work in our relationship. We love you and trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen.